as we consider worshiping our covenant Lord, but I'd like to read uh, all of Psalm 132. This is uh, the 13th Psalm of Ascent, two more to go, but hear the word of God. Psalm 132, a song of ascents. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, We heard of it in Ephrata. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might, let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread, her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather together uh, for, for worship on this Lord's day. We thank you that we can even gather together here, Father, in this sanctuary. But Lord, um, always keep us mindful uh, that our final resting place is not in a cemetery. Our, Our final resting place is with you, O Lord, in glory, where we will forever sing your praises we will forever rejoice, not only in our redemption, but we will rejoice in Christ our Redeemer uh, with all the saints in glory. And Lord, we, but we pray now 
that we would continually be learning about worship, learning about what it means to, to worship the one true and living God who loves us in Christ. And we give you thanks always in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> At the state funeral for Queen Elizabeth II of England, this past Monday, September 19th, 2022, it's reported uh, that over 32.5 million people worldwide viewed it on television or online. As well, uh, there were some 2,000 world leaders and family who were present there at Westminster Abbey in London. You know, there at Westminster Abbey, the, the, the queen also took her coronation vows uh, back in 1953. It's reported by good sources that the queen planned all the details of her funeral service as a last message uh, for her beloved country and as a witness, too, uh, for personal faith in Christ. Scriptures were read, it said, from uh, Job 19, 25 through 27, Psalm 42, 1 through 7, John 11, 25 through 26, John 14, 1 through 9, portions from Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26, and Revelation 14, verse 13. And if you look up those verses, you know, clearly speak of Christ and salvation. They sang hymns, quite a few hymns. I know that my Redeemer liveth, love divine, all loves excelling. The Lord's my shepherd. And uh, one hymn that I had not heard of entitled, The Day Thou Gavest, Lord, Is Ended. So I had to look up uh, the, the verses, and the last verse of that hymn reads as follows. So be it, Lord, thy throne shall never, like earth's proud empires, pass away. Thy kingdom stands and grows forever till all thy creatures own thy sway. Written by John Ellerton back in 1870. You know, the queen kept her vow uh, to devote her life to service to her country and to her God. A rare thing today. You know, but, but here in Psalm 132, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles there to Psalm 132, page 519, uh, we read of a, a greater vow, of a more glorious king. You know, listen to the Lord's covenant vow to David there in Psalm 132, verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, or the fruit of your womb, I will set on your throne. As we look at Psalm 132 this morning, let us learn that the Lord's 
covenant with David uh, provides Christians, even today, with joyful reasons for worship. You know, why does this covenant with David compel us to, to joyfully worship the Lord? Three truths will be looking at about uh, the Lord's covenant with David. It's a God-given covenant. It's a gracious covenant. It's a glorious covenant. Begin with that, that truth that it's a God-given covenant with David that we just read there in verse 11. A quick review of Psalm 132, verses 1 through 10. If you were here or for those who were not here, uh, this is a psalm uh, that recalls David's prayer to the Lord. You know, remember those words, remember, O Lord, faithful, covenant-keeping God. The opening verses speak of David's vow to find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place uh, for the mighty one of Jacob, verse 5. Remember, David diligently searched for the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of God's holy presence uh, with his people. He sought it till he found it, and then they joyfully brought it back to Jerusalem so that they might worship at his footstool. The footstool speaks of the mercy seat, the atonement cover, of the Ark of the Covenant, there where a holy God would meet uh, with his sinful children, those who have been redeemed by the shed blood of Christ. And now in verse 11, uh, there's a transition from David's prayer to the Lord, David speaking to the Lord, and now in verses 11 through 18, it's the Lord himself speaking to David and speaking to us as well through his word. Derek Kidner describes this psalm, helps us understand the two halves in this way. The second half of this psalm is the bright counterpart of the first with God's oath now matching David's and his promise crowning the people's prayer. And so there's a call to remember God's covenant. The Lord, Psalm 132, verse 11, the Lord has sworn. You know, it's a completed act. The Lord has sworn to David a sure oath, sworn in truth to David. You know, that refers back, we're going to be looking at a few different verses this morning, so... Keep your Bibles ready, but I'll read it for us. David's God's oath with David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. 2 Samuel 12, let me read it for us. When your days are fulfilled, this is the Lord's Nathan speaking to David, but Nathan is God's prophet. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He, that is David, offspring of David, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever, 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And now verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. You know, the Lord's unfailing promise to establish the throne of David forever, a sure oath from which he will not turn back. You know, the Lord's covenant promises rest on his unchanging character. Malachi 3, verse 6, a a good verse to keep in your back pocket, maybe your front shirt pocket. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You know, God does not change. His promises are yea and amen in in Christ. Our faithful God never goes back on the promises of his word. And what was God's promise to David and to us? One of your sons, the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. You know, make make note here, this is a God-given covenant. You know, some people... I think mistakenly say, well, it's like a contract. You agree, I agree. No, a covenant originates from God. God is the covenant keeper. We are the covenant breakers. You know, it's a God-given covenant. And what's a covenant? A descendant of David would sit upon the throne. And, And it's true. For about 400 years, a descendant of David sat upon the throne, but then the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of Judah, God's people carried off into exile. But we'll see that this covenant is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a call to covenant obedience on our part. Look at verse 12. If your sons... Sons of David, keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them. Their sons also forever shall sit upon the throne. God's word calls David and David's son to keep God's covenant, to guard it, preserve it, to obey it. And and what is the fruit of that? Here, give you a glimpse into the New Testament. Listen to the angel Gabriel. In Luke chapter 1, as he spoke this prophecy about Christ our Savior to the Virgin Mary, Luke one thirty-two, he, speaking of Christ, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's a God-given covenant, and and God follows it through to Christ. Consider public oaths and vows that Christians give before a, a watching world. Political officials, if you're in, in a courtroom... 
I don't think they do it anymore, but, you know, put your hand on the Bible. You know, we make vows when uh, we join uh, this church, Hope Presbyterian Church, your deacons, elders, and yes, your, your pastor made vows, public vows when they took their, their oath of office, of leadership in Christ's church and in our denomination. You know, when we are married, you know, we, we make public vows, even if there's only a few witnesses. You know, it's our heart's desire, it ought to be our heart's desire, sincere intention to keep our vows you know, but here in Psalm 132, verses 11 and 12, we hear words of gospel hope that the Lord, our creator and our redeemer, swore to David that one of his sons, the fruit of his womb, would forever sit upon the throne. A God-given covenant. And how should we respond then uh, to, God's, to this God-given covenant to David? It ought to start us um, with glad and grateful worship from our humble hearts. Praise God for his covenant faithfulness. So it's a God-given covenant. But look now at verses 13 and following, 13 through 16. It's a gracious covenant with David. We don't see that word grace, but that notion of grace saturates these verses. You know, Psalm 132 speaks of of Zion. You know, that's going to be an important word in these last three Psalms of Ascent. You'll see that word Zion again in Psalm 133, verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Then again, Psalm 134, verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made earth, heaven and earth. You know, Zion, you know, there's, there's a song, we've sung it before, you know, we're, we're marching to Zion. You know, as, as Christians, we're, we're faithfully marching to, you know, to Zion. Zion spoke of Jerusalem, it spoke of the Temple Mount and the Temple But ultimately, Zion points us to to heaven, to glory, to being with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the lines from that hymn, Marching to Zion, you know, come, come, invitation, come, we that love the Lord, and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord, and thus surround the throne. Zion. You know, thinking again of of the temple. That, that's the the image here in Psalm one thirty two. You know, especially thinking of the Ark of the Covenant. We uh, we focused on that last Lord's Day, uh, but but a reminder there: the Ark of the Covenant was a sign not only of God's holy presence with His people, but but it was a gracious reminder. You know, His footstool. That we as redeemed sinners can come and worship him you know, by the sacrifice of blood. In the Old Testament, it was the sacrifice of, of bulls, goats, lambs, doves. 
You know, but ultimately it points us to the sacrifice of Christ. And so there is, with this gracious covenant, back to Psalm 132, there is a sovereign selection of Zion. Look there. Psalm 132, uh, verse 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion. That word chosen is the same word used in the Old Testament. God chose Israel. We are his chosen people, redeemed in, in Christ ultimately. You know, and as we look at these verses, you know, not, not to get overly technical, but you can reflect on this uh, later today. We read Psalm 132 at home. Dr. Jim Boyce reminds us the most striking thing about verses 13 through 18 is that they correspond to the things that people prayed about in verses 8 and 9. So we have David here praying to the Lord, verses 1 through 10, and, and now we see God hearing, answering, you know, those prayers, especially that prayer that they could come into his presence and worship him, the one true and living God. You know, amazingly, our Lord, our Holy Lord declares there, verse 13, that he desires a dwelling place so that repentant sinners like you and like me might come into his presence and worship him, the one true and living God. You know, and here to to uh, give you a uh, uh, a rapid fire approach, give you a few verses, so that we could worship him in spirit and in truth. John four twenty three. Worship him with reverence and awe. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. Worship him with gladness and joy. Isaiah 51, verse 11, because of Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, John 1, 29. Worship him because in Zion, the Lord has laid a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and whoever believes in him, believes in Christ, will not be put to shame. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. You know, the, the Lord has chosen Zion. He desired, here I will dwell, for I have desired it. You know, God, God has a gracious plan and purpose for worship. You know, it's not random. It's not centered on us, our fickle feelings. You know, it, it's centered on a holy God who loves us in Christ. It is his gracious covenant with David and with us as his church. You know, his beloved and blood-bought bride, the bride of Christ, you know, and, and Christ. You know, Christ who was tempted, tried, tested, and always as we are, yet without sin. Christ who died a sacrificial death for our sins on the cross. Christ who fully bore God's holy wrath. There on the cross, Christ, who fully paid the price for our salvation as a faithful and final sacrifice for our sins. Christ, who rose again from the grave, the first fruits. You know, Psalm 132, verses 13 and 14, you know, speaks of God desiring to dwell with his people. 
you know, and it's fulfilled there in Ephesians chapter 3. That responsive reading that Jason led us in, it's there in your bulletin, but let me read just two verses, three verses. Thinking about God desires to dwell with us. Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now stop and think about that that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And how does God do that? You know, as Christ dwells within us. You know, Psalm 132 points us ahead to that that promise of the gospel. Back to Psalm 132, uh, verses 15 and 16, still thinking about this gracious covenant with David. You know, God's salvation blessings to Israel and to us. You know, verse 16, the eye is God, her is Israel, God's people. And you'll see there are four gracious blessings to Israel and to us as well. First one, blessing I will bless is the way you would literally read that verse, or ESV, I will abundantly bless her provisions. You know, our God generously supplies for all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Our need for food, clothing, and shelter, our spiritual needs. Do we not see that? You know, the ladies have been working their way through Exodus. God graciously provided manna daily, except on the Sabbath. He provided water, but God, in his miraculous, mighty way, he provided water by water coming out of a rock in the wilderness. You know, God still provides for his children. You know, the second blessing there. I will satisfy her poor with bread. You know, God does not give stingily. Well, here's just a little bit. You know, I will satisfy her poor with bread. You know, think, think of it this way, New Testament. You know, Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000, breaking the bread and the fish, and the disciples distributed it. But what did they do at the end? You know, they, you know, good Presbyterians don't let anything go to waste. They went back out, and, and they collected the leftovers, 12 baskets full of leftovers. You know, why, why did the Lord do that? to show that they were all satisfied. They had more than enough to eat. The Lord shall satisfy her poor with bread. The third blessing is the blessing of salvation. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. You know, those spiritual leaders of God's people, 
know, I will clothe with salvation. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 4 puts it this way. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said, and to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And so here, back to Psalm 132, it's not emphasizing the priests were special. No, they, they were sinners saved by grace. You know, but, but God graciously clothed them with salvation. David Dixon put it this way, the ministers of righteousness teaching the true way of justification and obedience of faith are also the ministers of salvation. The fourth blessing, and our saints will shout for joy. You know, go back to Psalm 132, verse 9. Your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy, taking it a step further. Not just clothed with the righteousness of Christ, clothed with salvation. And again, your saints shall shout for joy. Our our joyous work in God's work of redemption. Think of Acts chapter 3, verse 8. You know, one of the first miracles of the Apostles, after Christ's resurrection, ascension into glory, you know, they healed the leper in the temple. And you have to love this verse of scripture. The leper was healed, and what did he do? Acts 3, verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? You know, see a a lame, one who had been lame for for life, long time, walking, leaping, and and praising God, shouting for joy in in the salvation that was his in, in Christ. A gracious covenant with God with David and with us as well. I've been going through hymns lately and trying to find hymns that go with each of the psalms we're singing and recently came across a a modern hymn by Sandra McCracken based on Psalm 126 and I believe it, it fits Psalm 132. I'll post the the link to the song on our church Facebook page. But the the hymn is entitled, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. And and just reading one line from that hymn. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. Isn't that a glorious picture of God's grace to us in Christ? You know, we have have a foretaste of that. You know, every time, you know, we're, we're together on the Lord's Day. Our family worship. 
you know, but one day, you know, we will be forever rejoicing. We will feast and weep no more. Saints shouting for joy will still be shouting for joy and glory because of God's grace to us in Christ. But look finally at verses 17 and 18. We see that it's a God-given covenant with David, a gracious covenant with David. Finally, it's a glorious covenant with David. You know, we have another picture of, of Zion. And to give you a, a scriptural picture of, of Zion, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12, 22 through 24. Hebrews 12, 22. Well, let me begin with verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I will, I tremble with fear. This is as he's coming to Sinai. And then verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Verse 24, it's the climax. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, Zion, you know, and as we think of it, you know, sometimes it's hard for our minds and our hearts to to get wrapped around this, this glorious truth. And so God graciously in speaking about glory gives us three symbols here of Jesus, our Messiah and Redeemer. You know, first there, verse 17, there I will make a, a horn to sprout for David. You know, the horn here is a symbol, an emblem of defensive might and victorious dominion. That's from Kyle and Delich. It's God's sovereign and saving strength. You know, think of the horn of, of the rhinoceros. You know, for children, if you've been to the zoo, you know, they've got that one, you know, huge horn. And uh, I know little, I don't know much about rhinoceros, but I know I wouldn't like to be chased down by one. You know, that, that strong emblem of defensive might, victorious dominion. Ezekiel twenty nine twenty one puts it this way. Ezekiel 29, verse 21, On that day I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel, and I will open your lips among them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So the first symbol of the Messiah here is the horn, mighty horn. The second symbol, still in Psalm 132, verse 17, I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. It's an emblem of brilliant dignity and joyfulness. You know, think of the temple, that that beautiful golden lampstand. You know, it said the king of Israel was called the lamp of Israel. 
But, but then again, think of how it points to Christ. You know, Christ who said this in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Messiah, we think of the horn, might. We think of the lamp, merciful lamp, Jesus, who is the light of the world. Finally, verse 18, last words there, but on him his crown will shine. You know, the crown of David was a symbol of his Glorious rule, but David's reign points ahead to the greater, more glorious rule of Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Christ who conquered all, all of his and our enemies by his sacrificial death there at the cross. Verses of scripture that we often read at, at funerals, great verses, ought to read them otherwise. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's our response? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. next verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. But you go back to the first part of verse 18. You know, what does God promise us in his covenant? His enemies I will clothe with shame. You know, keep that in mind. You know, the the enemies of of Christ, of the gospel, of his beloved church, one day we'll be covered with shame. No matter your political persuasion, no matter how you're going to vote in November, you know, God's enemies, he will clothe with shame, eternal shame, unending shame. But on him, his cross will shine. Palmer Robertson writes this, the message of this psalm, Psalm 132, begins with a cross and ends with a crown. You know, thinking about vows, you know, lately Lynn and I have been reflecting on marriage vows. It was 44 years on August the 12th. And you know, you think you're old and mature when you get married. I was all of 23. Lynn was 21. You, you take vows like this, you know, and, and you take them in all sincerity. You know, to have and to hold from this day forward. And, and then I was like using the traditional vows. You know, for better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. We've been thinking about that a lot lately. To love and to cherish till death do us part. 
you know, intense and intimate vows for sure. You know, but, but, you know, think of God's more powerful, more precious, more permanent vows to us in Christ. You know, his greater, more glorious, eternally gracious vows to us in Christ. How can we not worship him? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we praise you and thank you that you are indeed the faithful, covenant-keeping God. Thank you for that proclamation of your word. I, the Lord, do not change. Your promises to us in Christ are sure, are steadfast. We can rest on them. We can rejoice in them. And Lord, even now in the midst of uh, struggles and challenges in our culture and country all around us, even within our own hearts, Lord, our own families, Lord, may we be steadfastly, sincerely, scripturally worshiping you the God who loves us in Christ, given to us his Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for that uh, assurance that one day we will be worshiping you face to face, surrounding your throne, ever singing your praises, thanking you for your gift of redemption in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.